All right. One of the uh, reformers said <clears throat> that if you're going to understand God rightly, you also have to understand yourself. And that's what we've been working on over the past few weeks. We are looking at this concept of identity, and we're trying to figure out who we are. And uh, it's a I think it's a really good exercise to do. I think it helps us to know um, how God is at work in our lives. In fact, one of the things that I, that I love doing um, in, a, in a lot of different settings, so some of you guys have experienced this before, but I love helping people write out a spiritual narrative, meaning uh, helping people draw a timeline of your life and then begin to place on their significant events that have been formative, that have shaped you, both positively and negatively, and looking at those and then tracing the hand of God and all of that just to show you that God is doing something and he's preparing you for something and he's going to wield you for something. That he, he, he takes our lives and he, he molds us into the kind of people that he wants us to become. And it's a really, really great thing to do. Um, so that's what we're going to do together this morning. We're going to look at the life of Moses. Um, so if you can, track down a Bible and get with me to Exodus chapter 1. Uh, that's where we'll start. We'll cover a lot of ground, but we'll start in Exodus chapter 1. And in the Bibles that we have here, that's on page 44. Page 44. <clears throat> so, we'll look at his life. We'll, we'll trace kind of how God was working in his life. Um, and then we'll, along the way, we'll just keep asking, how does this actually work for us as well? Because God does, I think that this is a good paradigm but it is something that God does for each of us. So as we look at the life of Moses, we find um, a, a lot of different shaping forces over a long amount of time. So let me suggest that we look at kind of the beginning of his life, the middle of his life, and the end of his life. And so let's start out with the early years. Um, let me pray and then we'll jump in. Let's pray. God, we pray right now that you would use this time as we look at the life of Moses would you help us to see and feel your shaping forces in us? God, we don't just want to talk about Moses. We want to examine our hearts and our lives. And we want to know who we are. God, we want to have better language to be able to articulate what's going on in our hearts and what we feel called to. And, and so we just commit this time to you and we ask for your spirit's work and ministry in us right now. And we pray, God, that you would help every person who's in here this morning to come away with a greater awareness of how you are working in our lives, Lord. Help us to experience that, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the early years for Moses were very traumatic. He was born into hostility. So that's the setting in which he arrived. Uh, the backstory, most of you know it. Joseph went ahead to Egypt. His brother sold him into slavery. He goes to Egypt, uh, he goes through a lot of pretty crummy stuff, but he ends up being the second in charge in all of Egypt, and he interprets a dream where uh, there's going to be seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of drought and famine, and he gets to arrange the situation of storing up that plenty and then divvying out in the season of drought. And so he's there, and he becomes such a big deal that all of the Israelites, the Israelite family, moves over into Egypt, and they post up there. And so he's, he's kind of well-known uh, to the Hebrews. He's well-known to the Israelites. But then, in Exodus chapter 1, we find that there's a new king, and he doesn't care about Joseph or their history or what he's done for their nation. So look with me at 
verses 8 and following of Exodus chapter 1. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous, and if a war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. He looks at the Israelites and he says, these guys are a threat to our well-being. So he turns them into a slave labor force. He oppresses them. And this is the situation that Moses is born into. He's born into an arrangement where there's great hostility toward him and his people. That, that anyone who's an Israelite is threatened. And in fact, the king made, made a rule that any child who was born who was a male should be executed on the spot. Any child who's a male Israelite ought to be killed. And that's the environment that Moses is being born into. And so he's born and his parents have to hide him. And, and here's, what I'm, here's what I'm trying to get at. To be born into a situation like that where you have to fear, fear for your life. Where you have to wonder, why do they hate us so much? That's going to have some, some influence over how you would consider yourself. That's going to have some weight in the way that you navigate life. That if there are people who so badly hate you that they would kill you, that's going to, that's going to show up in your identity. That's going to, that's going to leave a mark. That's, that's going to be something that will continue to bear influence in your life. So he, not only was he born into hostility, but in, in light of that, he was born into, uh, I guess I would just put it like this, a broken or a blended family situation. Because his life was threatened, his parents decided that they were going to give him up, so to speak. That they were going to do something to try to preserve his life. So he was born, and they loved him, and they looked at him, and they said, Man, we want to, we want to care for this child. And they hid him for three months, but when they realized this isn't a long-range plan, we have to do something different. And they, they, they thought that, I mean, it doesn't say it in the Bible, but I'm, I'm assuming they thought this was the best course of action. This was the most loving thing that they could do for him is to try to give him up and give him a future. And so they did that. And, and you got to imagine how, as an adult, you know, Moses would process that. Well, what's going on in my life? Why was it that I was born into a situation where people hated my guts? I didn't do anything. And why is it that my parents gave me up? And I had to live in this, not a normal upbringing, right? If there is such a thing, he, does, he didn't have it. He didn't have a mom and a dad and, and a home life that was safe. He grew up in, in this very confusing environment. And all of that, I think, profoundly shaped the man who he became. But he went through some stuff. In fact, uh, what they did was they put him in, in a basket, baby Moses, in a basket. They hid him in the, in the reeds of the Nile River. And when the princess came out, the daughter of Pharaoh came out to bathe. She saw the basket, sent her servant over to it, opened it up, and found a baby boy in it. And she looked on him adoringly and and uh, said, you know, I want to keep this baby. And uh, Moses' sister jumps out of the bushes and says, hey, do you want me to find somebody, you know, from the Hebrew camp who can nurse this child? And, and um, look at how it plays out. This is Exodus 2, verses 9 and 10. Pharaoh's daughter said to Moses' mom now, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Think about this. His experience, you know, his early childhood is very confusing. 
Who is he? Well, he's a Hebrew, but now he's adopted into the royal family. And his mother was able to have that significant time with him while he was nursing, but then he was given up to Pharaoh's daughter. So that all of this, I think, I think it would, you know, it's going to show up later. He's going to have to sort through who he is. Who is he? Now, the truth is, all of us have an early childhood, and a lot of them are pretty messy. When we start to talk about what we went through and the experiences that we've had, some are positive, and, and we should celebrate that, but we need to understand that has a profound effect on who we are today. The things that we went through when we were children have a profound effect on who we are. It's just a part of the reality of being formed, being a human being. And so we go through this stuff, and it, and it shows up in, the, in who we are and our identity and how we handle things. And, and a lot of us, a lot of you have been through traumatic stuff, whether it was the divorce of parents and, um, you know, they, they split and you began to wonder, did I do that? Is there something about me that caused this reality with my parents? And then you have to navigate these relationships and it's very confusing. Or, or maybe you stepped into a blended family then and, you know, there's all kinds of different complexities that we go through. But we need to, we need to evaluate that thing and ask ourselves, what is that doing to me? How is that continuing to wield its effect on me? Because if we don't learn to deal with that stuff, it will make us unhealthy adults. It'll mean that we respond to the world out of, out of brokenness. So we don't learn how to deal with that stuff. I mean, some of you have been through you know, situations in early childhood where you were physically threatened. Whether you know, it was a parent or an extended family member that was abusive, but, but you know what that's like, and that continues to affect you, even as an adult. So we need to look at the experiences that we've been through, and we need to be able to process that. We need to be able to evaluate that and go, how is this continuing to affect me even today? Uh, and, and, and if we do that, if we're willing to look at it, if we're willing to talk about it, if we're willing to process that in community or even in counseling or whatever the case might be, um, then it helps us to move forward. But it is a part of our identity, and we just have to own it. Moses went through this stuff. Here's the good news. If you've been through that kind of stuff, there's still a future for you. Moses went through that, and he still was mightily used by God. So you might be looking at your life saying, I'm damaged goods. I, I went through this stuff. I don't know how I could possibly be useful to God. But look, look, Moses became this incredible leader of the Israelite people. There's a future for you. There's a hope for you. God can work redemptively through whatever situations you've been through. Well, when he was in this household, um, he, he had a, a unique upbringing because now he's living in the royal palace, which is kind of weird, but think about how that would influence him and think about some of the advantages that he had. Now, we're not told the details here in Exodus, but later on in the Bible, after Moses does his, his thing and he, you know, he becomes a hero of the Israelite people and they continue to talk about him, well, later on in the Bible, there's a, there's a situation where a, a man is preaching a sermon and he's kind of retelling the story of, of their people. And he gets to the part about Moses and he fills in some of those details that they would be aware of, that they would have, have they, they would have talked about together. Just like, here's what Moses did when he was little, and here's the stuff that was going on. So he fills in some of the details for us. In Acts chapter 7, verse 22, this is what Stephen is saying in his, in his sermon. Moses was educated 
in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. So we're told that Moses had this kind of privileged upbringing, that because he was under the supervision of Pharaoh's daughter and living in the palace, that he was trained according to the customs of the Egyptian, that he had this uh, educational track that was very positive, that was a good thing. He learned a lot. He was also, as tradition talks about, he was trained as a military person to be able to fight and do these different things. That'll be significant later. But he's learning all this stuff about Egyptian culture. He's learning all this stuff about the world. He's, lear he's learning all kinds of things, and he has this unique and privileged place in which God has put him to prepare him for this future. One of my professors put it like this. He said, this experience uniquely prepared him for his assignment. I mean, think about it. When he comes back as an adult, and he's going to the king, and he's walking through the palace courts, and he's seeing, you know, magicians and enchanters and all this stuff, and all this, you know, grandiosity of, you know, the, the king kind of putting on a show, Moses isn't impressed by that. That's his childhood. He, he's totally familiar with that. He's not going to be starstruck by walking into the palace of the king. And so when he's telling Pharaoh, you need to let God's people go, and Pharaoh's responding, Moses isn't put off by any of that stuff. He isn't impressed by any of that stuff. He's able to do the assignment that God has given to him. So, here's the point. We will go through situations in early childhood and young adulthood that, that are preparing us for our future assignment. And we wouldn't have the wisdom to know it in the moment, but when we look back on it, and you start to evaluate your life, it should show up. This was important. Why did I have to go through this season? Why did I grow up in this location with these people? And all of a sudden, it starts adding up. But we need to evaluate that. Robert Clinton, he said, you know, experience doesn't make you wise. It just means you're experienced. Evaluating your experience is what makes you wise. We need to be people who look at what we've been through, trusting that God has been involved at every step of the way. And, and, and looking for, what was he doing here? What was God preparing me for? We need to look at the, the early parts of our life with that sort of uh, awareness. Because I do think that God leverages that season for the sake of our future. So hopefully, um, you know, you can do that. You can think through the stuff you've been through, positive and negative, And you can begin to articulate, that is probably significant for me. That's a part of my identity. Okay, moving into... The middle years, we get to Exodus uh, 2.11, and a lot happens between verse 10 and verse 11. A lot of years go by, but we find him in verse 11, it says this, One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his people were, and he watched them at their hard labor. Okay, so I, you know, a question I might have is, well, when, when was this on the timeline? I mean, how, how long was he in the palace? And in Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7, he gives some timestamps. So this is Acts 7, verse 23. It says, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his people, the Israelites. That means that he had this upbringing in the palace that lasted 40 years. And now he's transitioning into middle age and into this new experience of his life. And he's going now to visit these people. To visit these Israelites in their hard in their hard labor, and when he gets to this phase of his journey, here's what begins to happen. 
His personality spills out. His temperament shows up. The, the things that God built into him as a person now begin to show up in a profound way. And here's what we find out about Moses, and I like this about the guy. He cares deeply about justice. When something is not right, he doesn't sit idly by. He doesn't just, you know, avert his eyes and go, yeah, that's not my problem. Somebody else is going to solve that. Here's what Moses does. This is a part of his temperament. When he sees something that isn't right, he charges in. He sees something and he goes, that's not right. I'm going to do something about it. That's a part of his personality. So he goes to visit the Israelites and he sees them working. And then he sees a slave driver who is harassing and harming the Israelites. And he goes, that's not right. And he charges up and he strikes down the Egyptian. The Egyptian dies. And then he hides the body. But that's a part of his makeup. That when he sees something that isn't right, he takes action. And um, man, some of us, we need to evaluate our personality. I mean, this is one of the reasons why we love personality assessments. We'll do an assessment, and then we'll find out we're, you know, God made us a certain way. And we're like, oh, that makes a lot of sense now. I finally understand um, that this is something that God built into me. This is a part of my personhood. And when you do this with couples, and you say, okay, guys, we're going to do some premarital stuff, and a part of that is a personality assessment, then you go, I know this is pretty trite, but opposites attract. And you find out you're wired this way, you're wired differently. How are you going to make this thing work? The plan can't be that you change each other because that's how God made you. The plan has to be how do you, how do you make this thing sync up? But knowing that personality is a big part of that. So, so what are some of the things that are unique to you? What are the things that, that you could say, this is my temperament, this is my personality, this is how God built me, and, and I'm going to own that. And here's the problem. Once we start to figure that out, that still doesn't mean we're good at it. Right? Moses, all of a sudden his personality is spilling out, his concern for justice is spilling out, but he's killing people. So that can't be the strategy just to know I care about justice. I need to know what wisdom looks like. How do I wield my personality for other people's good? How do I, how do I be myself but do it in a way that's actually going to bless other people? We need to know how we're wired, but then we need to begin to figure out how does that sync up with the world that we live in? So I was, uh, this week I was just thinking about a couple of individuals who their personality is very abrasive. And they know it. I mean, they just kind of own it, but it's, it's kind of how God made them. They care deeply about, you know, understanding how things work, and, and they, they care deeply about everything. That's just a part of who they are. But when they come into contact with other people or employers or whatever the case might be, often there's this huge friction there. And, and wisdom is when you get to the place where you say, this is a part of my personality, but I'm going to learn how to navigate the world so that this doesn't kill people, so that this doesn't harm people. I'm going to learn how to be myself, but do it in a way that can work with other people without creating friction or, or harm. So that's what we need. Moses' personality, his temperament is showing up here, and he has this passion for justice. So he strikes down an Egyptian, and then he hides the body. The next day he goes back, and he finds the, uh, a couple Hebrews fighting, a couple Israelites fighting. And again, this is his personality, so what's he going to do? He steps in. He's, essentially, he's like, excuse me, knock it off. And he starts talking to them and you know, saying, this isn't right for you guys to be fighting. And they say, what are you going to do? Kill us? Like you killed that Egyptian? 
And he thought, he thought nobody knew about that. And all of a sudden he realizes, man, I've been found out. I'm in trouble. And in fact, Pharaoh catches wind of this and he's angry. So Moses has to run away. Moses flees to Midian, to a neighboring location. He has to run away and he sits down by a well and he's sitting there and there are some ladies, uh, you know, shepherdesses or whatever they're called, and they bring a flock over and they're about to water their flock from the well. And this, this hostile group of other shepherds comes by and they drive them away. They drive the women away. And Moses is sitting there. What does he do? You guys know? Dun, 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 dun. Like he rushes in, chases away those other shepherds, and he, he waters the flock of these women. Because that's who he is. When he sees something that's not right, he takes action and initiative. That's who he is. So he does that, and women, you know, they get back home, and they get home early, and the dad's like, man, it's not the end of the workday yet. What are you guys up to? And they say, well, you know, crazy story, but we were, you know, driven away by that one group, and then this guy just showed up, and he, he beat them up, and he, he watered all of our flock. And the dad says, where's he at? I want to have him for dinner. Sounds like my kind of guy. And so he comes to dinner, and apparently that goes well, because he offers his daughter to Moses in marriage. And, um, you know, Moses uh, accepts that proposal, and, you know, he's kind of just figuring out life now. He's in the middle stage of, of his life. He's 40-something years old, and he's just trying to sort through all of this. And uh, he gets married, and uh, they have a kid. And then what does he do in that moment? He names the kid, which you guys know, na the naming of a child is a, it's really a sacred event. And it's a significant event. And so he names his child. And what do we get? We get language of identity. All of a sudden we recognize Moses is trying to, he's still trying to figure out who he is, but he's start, starting to get a grip on it now. So look with me. Um, look with me at verse 22 of chapter 2. It says, Exodus 2, 22, Zipporah, that's his, his new wife, gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, which means... I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. All of a sudden, he's got language of his heart spilling out now. He's naming his child, but what is he naming him? He's naming him this significant reality. Guys, I don't fit here. I'm a foreigner. I'm a foreigner in a foreign land. I don't know exactly who I am. I mean, I'm a Hebrew, but I wasn't really a Hebrew. I grew up in the palace, and then I had to flee for my life, and I'm trying to figure this stuff out, but here's what I know at the moment. I don't belong here. This isn't my place. I'm a foreigner, and I'm living in a foreign land. And that's not a positive assessment, but at least it's honest. He's beginning to be able to say, here's where I find myself in this phase of life, and it doesn't feel right. And some of, some of you, I mean, this is, you're in that Midian season. You're, you're in a season in your life right now where you're looking at the details, and you go, I don't fit here, guys. I don't know what I'm doing, but this, I don't belong here. I don't feel this sense of belonging here. There's something, there's something out of whack here. Some of you, you know, you have a similar experience to Moses, and you get married, and you think, okay, this is going to solve everything. I'm going to get married. We're going to have kids. We're going to settle down. And then you, you get married, and you have kids, and you look at, you look at these individuals that you, you love, and they're supposed to really define your life. And you're like Moses, and you're saying, this just amplifies the fact that I don't feel right anymore. And let me just say this, okay? Because some of you are living in this season right now where you're just trying to sort through who am I and what am I doing? I don't feel like I belong. You might be in the Midian season right now 
where you're just in the, the desert wilderness trying to feel your way through it, here's my suggestion as a pastor. Please do not do anything stupid. Right? You know this isn't right and you feel it and you can say it and all of that is fine, but don't make rash decisions in this season. Learn to embrace it because God is at work and, and he's at work and he's using this to shape and mold you and prepare you. But please don't do something that, that you will regret later on. Continue to hold fast to God and listen to his still small voice and allow for him to exert his influence in this season. But man, it is hard. Sometimes it lasts a long, long time. I'm going to show you here in a minute how long it was for Moses. Um, but for me, if it was, you know, when I look at my timeline and I look at the season where I started to be able to say very specifically, articulately, this, this doesn't feel right. And then that season, it lasted five years. For Moses, it lasted much longer. Forty years, I'll show it to you in just a moment. But that means that this season that you might be in, Buckle up. It might, it might take a while. And, and try, to, try to embrace what God might be doing in this season and just continue to be honest with him. I'm a foreigner in a foreign land. I don't know what I'm doing. But I'm going to continue to trust that God is doing something even in this season. Here's what's crazy. In this season, Moses is being prepared in such an incredible way. I'll, I'll show you some of the connections here in a moment. But this is a very important part of his life for his future. So, he's a shepherd. Um, chapter 3 now, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There's a lot here, and I hope that you see what I'm seeing here. Moses became a shepherd. So he goes from palace life, now he's a shepherd, which means he literally as a flock of sheep that are stinky and obstinate and needing lots of care and attention, and he has to lead them around the desert wilderness. Does this sound like it might be useful in the future? What is Moses going to ultimately do? He's going to be the instrument that God uses to rescue the people out of slavery, and then they're going to end up in the same exact desert wilderness, and he's going to be leading the flock of God's people which, by the way, becomes the chief metaphor for spiritual leadership in the Bible. Shepherding, pastoring. And that's exactly what he's going to do. And he's having this on-the-job training as he's marching around with a literal flock of sheep and learning how to do that. Also, look at this. His father-in-law is the priest of Midian. This guy that he looks up to and respects and admires is a person who knows how to care for other people. A priest, not like an Israelite priest, properly worshiping God, but at least a priest in the sense that he is helping people connect with what they, what they believe to be very important stuff. And this is his father-in-law, and so he's learning. In this season, I, I would imagine he's learning all kinds of very useful things for the next season of his life. But he wouldn't know that in the moment. He'd feel like, I'm a foreigner, and I really trashed my life, and now I'm just stuck in the desert wilderness, and it's not a short little stay for him. In, in Stephen's um, sermon, he tells us, uh, Acts 7.30, he says, After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses. Okay, so he's 40 years before he goes to visit the Israelites and kills the Egyptian and runs away. Now he's 40 more years in the desert wilderness leading this flock around. He's 80 years old. And... Um, 
you gotta, you gotta just think to yourself, what would it look like if I'm not doing what I think I should be doing until I'm 80? What if God is going to craft and mold on me? How do we learn to embrace the season of waiting, the season of isolation, of being away from what you think is really important? But let's learn to, to, to leverage this season for God's glory. Let's learn to embrace it and at least have the language to be able to say, I think God is doing something here. I might not perceive it, but if I read the Bible correctly, he's at work in my life. He's doing something for me. He's preparing me for something. And I'm going to learn how to navigate this season in a way that's glorifying to him. So Moses, in, in the middle section of his life, I think all of that is very important because he's preparing him. He's going, to, he's going to use all of that in the future. When you look at the middle of your life, when you look at the, the season that you're, maybe you're in it right now, can you imagine what God might be doing? If you're drawing that timeline out and beginning to create a narrative of your life and you look at you know, some really crummy stuff you've been through and some really exciting stuff you've been through, and you begin to trace this thing out, here's what, you, here's what you will find. You will find God's hand of favor in your life. You will see that he is doing things at every step of the journey that's getting you ready, that's making you more like his son, Jesus Christ. Well, let's look then at the, the last portion, or, or at least the later portion of his life, and we're not going to go into his ministry, but I want you to see kind of this turning point in, in the experience that Moses has. So, Exodus 3, verses 1 to 3. So Moses leads his flock to the far side of the wilderness, and comes to Horeb, the mountain of God. Verse 2, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush, bush does not burn up. So he has this God moment. And it's, you know, we could spend a lot of time looking at all the details of it, but here's what you need to know. You also have God moments in your life. That if you're willing to look at your timeline, there ought to be moments where you say, this is where God spoke to me, spoke to my heart. This is where I gave my life to Christ. I heard the gospel message and I responded with faith. This is where I surrendered my life and I got baptized. And this is where uh, a significant person came into my life and they began to disciple me and help me know what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is, this is the point in my life where I went to a conference and I heard this thing and this had a, a, an effect on me. I read this book. There are all kinds of different ways that God speaks. When you look at your life, you should be able to pull those out and say, this is an important moment in my story. Just like it was an important moment for Moses. He had, a, he had a day where God called him from a bush. said, take your shoes off, dude. This is holy ground. I'm talking to you. I am the God who is. I'm the God of your forefathers, of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. I am God, and I am going to rescue my people. That's an incredible reality, but you should have, you should have moments that you kind of pull out of your story, and you say, this is where God spoke to me. This is the moment where I came to know God as he is. This is the moment where God was speaking over me, his character. And I began to see him as this glorious and incredible God. But all of us can have these God moments. We need to be looking for them, and we need to allow them to have the influence on our lives that they ought to. Now, as God was doing this for Moses, he, he now says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to save my people. Oh, and by the way, I want you to be a part of it. I want you to be an instrument through which I work. Look at verse 10 of chapter 3. He says, so now go, 
I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now all of a sudden, not only is God speaking to him, revealing his character, revealing who he is and how to know him and his promises and all this stuff. Now he's saying, and I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. I'm going to send you to Pharaoh and I'm going to rescue my people. God does that. There, there should be moments in your life where you recognize God is calling you to be involved in his mission in the world. Every Christian, every Christian is a minister. Every Christian has the opportunity being gifted by God to be used of God in whatever setting God places us. We all have spiritual gifts and we all can represent God to a watching world. And, and we should be able to look in our storyline and say, this was the moment where God was calling me to represent him in this location. Talking to Ash about this and we were just kind of reflecting this week um, about her call. She's a nurse in a pediatrics and neonatal intensive care unit and it is her ministry. And when we look at her life and we look at all the details of how God shaped and molded and formed her, you know, it all stacks up to this vocation of ministering to families who have small kids in the hospital. And it's a really beautiful and important ministry. I mean, if you have a kid in the hospital, you don't want to go in there and have some nurse be like, I'm just doing my job. Get out of my way. Let me take your vitals. Okay, here's, let me look at your chart. All right, cool. Let's get this done. No, you want somebody who cares. And you want somebody who listens. And you want somebody who looks at you in your eyes and says, look, if, if you have any questions, I want to help you. If, you, if, if there's something about this that's confusing, let's talk through that. Here's what the doctors are going to do, and, and it's, a, it's a ministry of care. And we look at her life and we say, this is where God has called her in this season, and it is a beautiful thing. God can be doing that to us, each one of us. God can be looking at you and saying, look, do you, do you see how I've prepared you for this? Here's what I want you to do. You're going to be involved in my mission in the world in this way, God is saying. And it's exciting. But here's what we do, just like Moses. Uh, I don't know if you want me on the team. We come up with our excuses. God, are you sure? You sure you want me to do that? I don't think I'm cut out for that. Look at verse 11 of chapter 3. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who do you think I am? I, I mean, I, I'm a nobody. I'm a, I'm, a I, I, I'm a shepherd. I'm a nobody. I live in the desert wilderness. I walked around with sheep all day. Do you think I have it in me to go back to Egypt and to go to the king and to declare all these different things that you're going to do? And he has a, his excuses. And we have our excuses. God, you don't, you don't want me to do that. I mean, there are other people who could, who could do a much better job than I could. Here's what God begins to do. He just says, look, I've got you. Let me show you that I will give you everything that you need. Put your hand in your cloak. Take it out. Put it up. It's leprous. Put it back in. It's healthy. That stick you're holding, throw it on the ground. Throws it down, it becomes a snake. Pick it up. Okay? Picks it up, it becomes a staff again. Says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you signs and wonders. And here's what God's, God's saying this to him. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna save them. You get to be a part of this, but, but I'm gonna rescue them. Here's my promise. I'm getting them out of oppression and slavery, and I'm bringing them in to a land that I swore on oath to your forefathers. I'm gonna do it. And you get to be a part of it. And Moses continues to persist. I don't know if I'm the person for it. Look at verse 10 now of chapter 4. Moses now comes up with another reason why he's having a hard time getting on board with this plan. 
Chapter 4, verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. He looks at his, his mouth and he says, I, I'm not good at this, God. Are you going to use me as your mouthpiece to the nations? I, I don't even speak well. And I can resonate really well with this part of the Bible because I look at my calling to ministry. I am not a public speaker. I'm not even a good conversationalist. I can't even put together decent, normal sentences. So when I talk, it's, it's weird. Um, and then God says, yeah, I'm going to use you to preach. Uh, I think you got the wrong guy. I'm terrified of public speaking. You know, I'm going to use you to, to, to communicate the truth of the gospel to people. That's what he's saying to Moses. And Moses says, I don't think that's a great idea. I'm not eloquent. I'm not good at speaking. And God has to remind him, I gave you your mouth. I made it the way that it is. I gave your, you your ability to reason. I gave you everything that you have. You think that I'm clueless when I give you your assignment? No, I'm fully aware of who you are and what you're capable of. Look at verse 11. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and teach you what to say. You might look at your life and you might have certain things about, about you that you don't like. And you see it as a limitation. And you think to yourself, there's got to be somebody else who would be better suited for this. Better suited to serve God in these different ways. And we can look at, you know, physical limitations that we might have or mental limitations that we might have or any number of things. And we look at, we look at it and we go, yeah, I, I don't have what it takes to do that. There's probably somebody else. But here's what we need to recognize. God is saying, I made you. I made you the way that you are. I understand your limitations. I'll actually use them for my glory. Your limitations can be a platform for declaring the wonders of God. He can, he can spiritually gift you with everything that you need so that you're not tempted to try to steal that glory. I'm awesome. I did this all myself. No, you understand. I'm weak and frail, and, and, and this is something that God has to do through me, or it's not happening. But be yourself. Learn to love how God has made you. Learn to love who it is that you are, your personality, your giftedness, your experiences. Learn to embrace that. Learn to, to be you. You're the only one who can. Learn to say, this is what God has made me, and I'm going to figure out how to use that for his glory. And I may not be like so-and-so, but I can at least be me. Learn to be yourself and learn to embrace and love that and serve in that way. Now Moses continues to be reluctant. So look now at verse 13 of chapter 4. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. And the next verse says, the Lord gets angry. Now here's what I want you to see. There is a reluctance about Moses that he keeps on coming up with different excuses, and that makes me patient with you, right? That you could say, uh, I don't think so, I don't think so. But God continues to persist, and he wants to use people like us. And here's what's incredible about this reluctance. I think it actually becomes something that's commendable. I think that Moses has a, a feature about him now as an 80-year-old person where he is humble. 
Right? He, he, he is so humble. In fact, in Numbers chapter 12, we're told that he was a very humble man, more humble than anybody on the face of the earth. I think a part of his reluctance is the fact that he has now been humbled to the point where he just, he doesn't really know what his ambitions are, but, but he's humble enough to embrace the calling that God gives him. God gets him to go, and he does incredible things for the kingdom. He does incredible things in God's name. And um, I guess I want to suggest to you that as you're pursuing what God has made you for, that you would also simultaneously pursue humility. So that when you're doing that, you're doing it in this humble fashion. You're doing it in a way that says, man, I, I, I'm just depending upon God, whatever the results might be. I'm just depending on Him for His power and His strength through me, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be humble about it. I'm not going not gonna to try to boast about myself or take glory on myself. We need to be people who are humble like Moses. Now, when you trace out your life, like we just did for Moses, and you start to piece all these things together, you should be able to see God's hand leading you to this moment. And in this moment, hopefully, um, you begin to sense, I know what God is doing in me. Now, for some of us, we get to the place in life where we have the experience that Robert Clinton calls convergence, which means that everything that we've been through comes to its intended end. Everything comes together and all of a sudden it all clicks and you go, whoa, this is what I was made for. Some of you get to have that experience. That's what we're pursuing together. I hope that through your experience at church and through your relationships with, with each other that you are figuring this thing out so that you get to the place where you say, I know who I am. I know how God has been leading me throughout my entire life, and I'm able to embrace that and celebrate that and live comfortably in my own shoes. I'm going to do what God wants me to do, and I understand what that is now because I've been evaluating my life, paying attention to God's leadership, and I believe that He can and does use me. That's what I want for every single person in here, an awareness of your identity in Christ Jesus. That God loves you, that he sent his son to die for you and redeem you, and he has been forming you for the ministry that is uniquely suited for you. So what is that? Let's find it together. Let's get you on board with what God is doing in this world, and let's celebrate that. So let me pray, and uh, I'd ask that you would bow your heads now, and we're going we're gonna to ask that the Holy Spirit would keep showing us what this looks like. Holy Spirit, would you please reveal what you are doing in each of our hearts and in each of our lives, Lord. Help us to know how you have been forming us for this moment. Some of us are in that desert season. Help us to be patient. Help us to diligently pursue your face. And help us to learn the lessons that we need to learn. And Lord, I pray for every person in here to have the joy of feeling that convergence of life coming together and, and being able to, to live in your glory and serve in the way that you've uniquely made us. I pray that as a church we would help people find that, help people pursue that, and then, and then celebrate it together. So God, please continue to work in our hearts and show us who we are. We pray in your name.